Now that you have packed away the Christmas ornaments and Christmas for the season, it's time for some contemplation. Those Christmas are from the 80s. They're made of styrofoam. The glitter has dropped off and they're being held together with toothpicks. Don't celebrate another Christmas hearkening back to the age of glitter balls. See Ad Crusom's beautifully designed Christmons together with our book describing how they fit into the church here. Visit adcrusom.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Today we have a book club wrap up and these are always super fun. This might be my favorite one so far. Maybe I say that every time, but (laughs) however, but however, this was Jane Austen Mm. Persuasion. And if you haven't read Jane Austen Persuasion, you should probably Mm. like pause this podcast and go spend the day reading the book and then come back. Maybe, maybe not. I think it'd be worth it. Mm. I don't know how we've made it this long without doing Jane Austen, but I'm very glad we finally did because this was a super fun read. I devoured this book in one day and it was a most glorious Saturday of my life. (laughs) (laughs) So Rachel. Some tea. Oh. While while reading it. Coffee. Metaphorical. Far too much. Okay. Okay. Your tea equivalent. It is my tea equivalent. That's fine. That's okay. Yes. It was a glorious day. There are worse things to consume while you're reading. That's true. Rachel, take it away. Yeah. So Persuasion was, it is the first time we've done a Jane Austen book. We always knew it was going to happen at some point. And now it did in the middle of a rather, um, I suppose the nice way to put it is cozy winter. (laughs) In the middle of a cozy winter, which is a great time to read a good novel. Jane Austen's Persuasion, this was her last completed novel, shows her at her most mature in terms of her writing style. She had finally worked out how to have an incredibly satisfying ending. And this one, I think, regardless <laughs> of where you rank Persuasion elsewise in your Jane Austen list, it certainly has, for my money, the most satisfying ending of any of her books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was actually published shortly after her death. And she had some other, you know, projects in the hopper when she died. But this is the one that she, you know, saw through to the end. It follows the story of Anne Elliot, the second daughter of a very vain and conceited and spendthrift baron. And she had a her one romance in her late teens was with a Navy captain who was just at the beginning of his career, was not at that point rich enough or elegant enough to please her family or friends, and she ended up giving him up. And so the book starts a number of years later. She's about 27 and is now encountering Captain Wentworth for the first time, realizing she really regrets having sent him away and is kind of hoping she has a second chance. But it's got also got all the classic Jane Austen things where, you know, she basically sat in the corner, the back corners of of drawing rooms and ballrooms, you know, of of English upper class and then gets her own back writing about these people in the most hilarious, ridiculous, (laughs) roasty way possible. And so it's it's part 
romance, part social satire, and part just straight up comedy. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it was a great read for me. This is probably the third or fourth time I've read it. And every time I read it, it gets further up in my list of Jane Austen favorites, which is, of course, also my list of all-time favorites because Jane Austen (laughs) is quite possibly top three or four favorite novelists for me. And yeah, it was, and not just because since the la- the first time I read it, I'm now married to a naval officer. Mm. Um, <laughs> I didn't think of that at all as I was reading this. <laughs> oh, I thought of it many times. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, all the there's a lot about the navy, the British navy, in this book and their lifestyle and the character qualities of the naval officers. Who I must say, Captain Wentworth is far superior to a Wickham. Or army officers, which show up in certain other of Jane Austen's books. I was impressed. It's like Jane Austen determined, haha, at this point, everyone knows that the villain will be the W man. (laughs) And she (laughs) she's like, haha, I will surprise them all. It is not. Because she had a Wickham and she had a Willoughby. Willoughby. Now she's got a Wentworth. But he's not the villain. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's brilliant. So what did you all think? Obviously, Sarah, you loved it. Good for you. I approve. Persuasion is the first Jane Austen book I've ever read. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Welcome. Welcome, friend. I don't want to be here. Um, (laughs) I I think I know why I've avoided it for 35 years. Uh, Maybe I'm just... Maybe I'm just projecting because I don't want to get too psychological here. Maybe it's not projection. I just feel like it's stories like this that spoil what it means to be a woman. Okay, you're going to have to go deeper there. You can just leave that hanging. Like, yes, there's angst in this story. And as it's the more it's the most mature, as you say, of the writing I'm assuming that that means it's probably the most like realistic angst that there can be. But like, I don't know. That's just not how like that's just not how relationships are anymore. I don't I don't think or maybe they are. And they're I don't know. I just I don't know. Like unrequited love. It's like just everyone thinks it's bills it as this most romantic thing. And no, it's just. It's just stupid. Like, just be, just communicate with each other. Like, just be, right? What I want to do, honestly, is like send them all to a therapist. And I think I've said that <laughs> with every book we've read. But then there would be no drama. That's the thing is like, really, like, you really need to create this environment. Like, just talk it out, homie. But isn't that one of the themes in this case? Yeah. Like, she was exploring the fact that yeah because there was no actual honest communication here are the consequences yeah that they Mm -hmm. had to deal with it wasn't just a quick and easy fix yeah it was years long almost a decade long of Mm -hmm. unhappiness on on both people's parts and maybe i just Um, like it was really dumb that Anne got persuaded out of being with Frederick at the first. Like, I just feel like I actually disagree with that. I, uh, I think it was right for her to be persuaded against him at first. I think Lady Russell was 
was we correct. Think she was right. Well, and I so do. much of this thinking about when it was set and what English and this is the the what the social satire part of all of this. Thinking of British society at the time, there's a lot of things that we would do now of like just having these conversations and not letting ourselves being persuaded as women that that was what life was like yeah. in English society at that point. You had to marry well, like you were expected yeah. to marry well, and if you didn't, you would be like not invited to any society stuff and then you would have no life. So like like so much of this is set in that realm of what it meant to live in society and how, well, silly some of that things especially look to us now because we think it's dumb. And yet at the same time, if one of my daughters came to me at 19 and said, Mm -hmm. I'm going to marry this guy. You don't know his family. He doesn't have a great job. He's hardworking. I know he's going to make good at some point. Exactly. Um, I would have said, um, let's just like back that truck up a couple of meters here. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a difference reading it as a mother of teenagers now, right. as opposed to when I first read it as a teenager, that mm-hmm. I look at that as a teenager, I thought, oh, this wasn't fair. How could she have, you know, talked her friend, <laughs> her young friend out of, you know, Lady Lady Russell talks her out of marrying Cap- Captain Wentworth at a time when he is basically an unemployed nobody. Mm-hmm. And Anne sees all these qualities in him, but neither of them knows if he's really going to actually follow through on any of this. Mm. And and I used to see the injustice, and now I'm ha- I'm with Aaron. I'm having second thoughts. Yeah. I'm like, well, you know, it. And and maybe if they'd gotten married, things would have gone differently for him. He wouldn't have been That's able true. to see the success yeah. that he did. He would not have had that chance to go out and the reason, the impetus to basically earn his place in her world. Not mm-hmm. that he could earn her love, but that he would earn a place next to her. I think that was a, a great motivator for him. They were miserable for a while, and that really stunk. But yeah. so, can we can we talk about who she really should have ended up with oh. in this story? Whoa! Let us hear what I don't okay. remember. I don't remember his name, but it's the dude who lives in Lyme. Benwick? Is it Bemwick? Benwick? 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 Captain Benwick. He said it weird yes. on the audiobook. Oh, they yeah. would have probably said Benick. Yeah. yeah. Ah, okay. I really shipped them for a second. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. I, when yeah. they were there yeah. visiting, yeah. I kind of thought that they would end yeah. up together. I really too. wanted them to be together uh-huh. at the end because he uh-huh. was a good dude and he was maybe one of the most honorable dudes yeah. in that story. Well, he ended up being, he ended up with someone that he loved very much. Mm-hmm. And I think he was a little immature for her. She would have gotten would tired, have tired waiting yeah. for him to grow up to the point where they could have an adult conversation and not just talk about his, you know, gushy poetry all the time. Yeah. I think he and, and he married Louisa, right? Yep. Yeah. He's another piece of work. They're wonderful together, though, because <laughs> she needed someone to care for her after her accident. And he is like the perfect person to do that. Mm-hmm. If she wasn't being so childish. She wouldn't have had the accident. Can I just say that? I look, look. Okay, there's, there's probably, there's probably like five or six different instances in this book where, if like time travel through like canonical fiction universes was possible, Mm -hmm. I would spend all six of those credits going back to persuasion. And inserting myself in the narrative with a bullhorn, oh, <laughs> well, saying either 
wow, you're stupid. Or like, this is awkward. Like stuff like that. Like I just, mm. <laughs> I don't know, guys. It just, it wasn't. You need to read more Jane Austen. I Brie. guess you're, yeah. <laughs> I guess I do. Maybe. I don't know. Some of this just made more sense because, well, I read Pride and Prejudice a really, really, really long time ago. So I had a, a very long break in the middle of my reading of her. But I have recently watched Love and Friendship and Emma. And so, so many of these scenes reading the book were like playing out in my head with those mm. characters and voices. And it's it just, I don't know. Have it's you, just so funny. I don't think we ever, <laughs> you never said, I don't think we did a round the table have you've read jane austen before right you've yes, probably read this yes, book i have read this book before okay. and similar to rachel i also read it differently this this time around this mm. was either the second or third time i read it i don't i think it was i think this was the second time i read it and definitely different things resonated with me mm. this time but again brie on on your thing with lisa you're right mm. but i get i think that was intentional on mm -hmm. the author's part like she was showing that this girl was foolish Do and it she again! a harsh lesson yeah. yeah and she had a harsh consequence <laughs> and then she you know learned and grew and <laughs> <laughs> well, and and Louisa's personality, it really, I think the accident was a was a definite wake up call for dear Frederick Wentworth because he had been one obstacle to him and Anne getting back together was her, his feeling like, man, I think I really need a woman who's just a little bit more decisive, knows her own mind, assertive. Yeah. You know mm -hmm. that Anne is t such a total pushover. I don't think that that really fits with me. And so then he was sort of flirting a lot with Louisa, who's this total yeah. impetuous, assertive, impulsive child who definitely mm -hmm. follows her own mind, even if she hasn't thought things through all the way. And mm -hmm. so when she has this accident that is absolutely the result of being a leap before you look kind of thing, which is what <laughs> Frederick thought he yeah. wanted in a woman, then he sees, oh, no, actually, I think I want something more in the middle. Someone who knows her own mind, but that actually has, you know, some sense and prudence in that mind <laughs> mm -hmm. who has both the conviction to act on her beliefs, but has actually put some thought into them. And so it really helped clear the way for him coming to a new and deeper appreciation mm. of Anne, which is really good if they were going to get married and live happily ever after together. <laughs> him being able to respect her unreservedly was mm -hmm. probably the result of his flirtation with Louisa and the consequences thereof. So it all mm. worked out. I yeah. Oh, <laughs> I love that. It's and this sounds super morbid, but like the whole series of events immediately after that accident were like this huge turning point. Yeah, because like everyone's like Anne is competent. There's no one more competent than Anne, and I was like, yes, you go, girl. <laughs> She's getting some appreciation. Yes, oh, themselves. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> While we're talking about Anne and her appreciation or lack thereof, we should take some time to address a little question that was raised to us on the Facebook book club discussion. Yeah. Elisa Francisco had asked, she said, I was wondering about birth order and marriage customs, perplexed mm. as to why the oldest unmarried daughter was held in such esteem and Anne was looked down on for not yet being married, yet she was younger. So a little segue here, and we're just going to talk about rank in mm. English upper-class society. It is a little strange 
that Elizabeth Elliot in her 30s is still regarded with such esteem. But the truth is the eldest daughter always was, especially if her mother had died. And mm. so Elizabeth was really the lady of the house from the time she was about 16 years old. One of the sort of jokes and bits of tension in the book is that neither Elizabeth nor her father, because they spent so much time looking pretty all the time, has noticed mm. that Elizabeth really has let herself get a little older than she should have if she wants to actually get married. So yes. what we see happening in the book is that she thinks she has all the time in the world. Doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> we see a lot, of, a lot of young people today who sort of think, oh, I have all the time in the world. Let me fritter away my 20s. And, you know, then I, I'll certainly be able to find somebody and settle down and have those 10 kids, you know, when I'm ready. And I think the, the lesson with Elizabeth is you can't wait forever. You can't have such such terrifically ridiculous standards. Not I won't call her standards high. They aren't high, but they're specific. So she is about to see her place in society sort of evolve from lady of the house to eventually, once her father dies, she's going to lose pretty much all her status. And that's something that's coming that she's un unable to see. But we see the ranking of status in women. It's partly based on the family that they're born into. They're a baronet's daughters. They're always going to be respected. Not as much as the Dalrymple ladies, but... Mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, so they know their they know their place. They like their place, and then the rank goes from the eldest, Miss Elliot, to her sister, Miss Anne Elliot, to her younger sister, Miss Mary Elliot. However, when Mary married, she bumped up in rank. So Anne really is the lowest. There's a wonderful scene in Pride and Prejudice where 15 year old Lydia Bennett has just eloped, scandalously gotten married, shows up at home. And they're walking into the house and the mother and father goes first and then they file in very specific protocols here, mm -hmm. you know, in order of rank. And she says to Jane, her older sister, no, no, I take your place now, Jane, because I'm a married mm -hmm. woman. Well, and so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a yeah. lot of this rank tension and you throughout saw the that book. In Mary, her evaluating the... Musgrove, Musgrove sisters yes. choices of husband and yeah. she was like that one's just ridiculous and she's like but that's okay because that means she'll never surpass me once my you know once my husband finally <laughs> ascends to his place right well, yeah and then I will far outweigh them but that, and that's like that was a super important thing that mm -hmm. status for them I think one of the greatest injustices of this book is Mary Musgrove being a terrible mom <laughs> and like Anne Elliot basically being a better mom to Mary's uh -huh. children than Mary is uh -huh. mm -hmm. I just yeah I had she was yeah. a terrible mom yeah. but really it shows better, but... it shows Anne's character though that she cared so much about her her sister's kids mm -hmm. that yeah. she was like I'm gonna be awesome okay. to these kids so this came up in the even though they're little brats <laughs> Even though um, they're little brats, yeah. <laughs> how the heck did Anne turn out that way? I, like, uh, she was surrounded by all these people. people. How did this... Her mother. How did she turn out this way when everyone else in her in her immediate circle, except for Lady Russell, essentially, and, and we assume her mother. Yeah. But is that all it was? And she then... was like, the second born, and the second borns are the best. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> little kids, dude. <laughs> 
<laughs> Don't try <at> differently. <laughs> well, I mean, Lady Russell, as, as much as we like, maybe villainif- villainify her for her persuasion. Villify. Vill- thank you. Villainize. Yeah. <laughs> she did have a heart for yeah, looking no, out for did. the best exactly. of people. So mm-hmm. I, if I think if Anne was separating herself from her her sisters and her dad because of their character and she got the genetic pool of the other side of the family of her mom and just did not want to be like them then the Mm -hmm. pendulum swings the opposite direction and she Mm -hmm. ends up as this completely opposite person and she's 27 at this point like think about all of the (laughs) and it's not like she was obviously the favorite like ever right and so you're right at some point when you're nearing 30 and you've sort of been in this environment where you're invisible like it's entirely possible that you're going to adopt the the values and virtues of people that are most unlike the the family that you have that that don't see you or validate you as an individual. Well, and she also had Mrs. Smith, her governess, too, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that was she, her best friend, her best school best friend. friend. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but she was obviously a really good influence mm-hmm. on her character as well, because she ends up being also a very yeah. great person. So she had a good mother. She had a good mentor who, despite the persuasion, which may or may not have been appropriate, <laughs> was constantly exposing her to a more thoughtful way of living. She had the middle child thing where she wasn't you know she was and she wasn't as pretty as her as her older sister so she wasn't she wasn't and she's not ugly she's beautiful but not as beautiful and so she doesn't like catch her dad's eye as like meeting his standards for perfect physical perfection so she's sort of she's you could say she's neglected or you could say she's spared a lot of that that unhelpful stuff she's got just like the bible says you know that persecution develops all these virtues in you you know she's got Mm. that but then on top of that as you see in her conversations with captain benick or benwick she has done a lot of reading in her life oh, and not yeah. just fluffy stuff either, like good stuff. She's read mm-hmm. stuff that has made her mind and her soul deeper than they would otherwise have been. And so you've got all these sort of things working together to create a woman who at 27 is quite honestly someone I want to be when I grow up. Let's just say that. She's not too perfect because she's still you know, and one of the things that's so frustrating about this novel is that you're right, Brie, there's a lot of angst. She overthinks <laughs> everything. And you find out at the end that she has misread like half the situation she's been in from the beginning. Like if she could have just picked up on Captain Wentworth's cues a little bit sooner on, they'd have settled this way earlier. But she just assumes he must hate me forever. And uh, Sigh, angst, angst, angst. So she's faint, not faint, faint on the fainter. <laughs> <laughs> she's not perfect. She gets things wrong, and that I think makes her all the more lovable. Mm-hmm. She's super relatable to me. I was yes, like the whole overthinking every situation. Mm-hmm. Hashtag anxiety spice. I mean, it's just <laughs> so related. But I think I think that's part of the reason I I love her character so much is that she's just this like. This introvert who loves <laughs> yes. her alone time and knows she needs her alone time and like goes and disappears and overthinks everything, but is also like just a very calm and wise person. And I'm like, yes, Anne, you are. I would be interested kind of heroine. to see because as you're talking, Sarah, I'm like thinking back to 
okay, was there, I think there was, because because of her nature, obviously, I think there was more self-talk in the book mm-hmm. and, like, thoughts than actual <laughs> words. So, like, now <laughs> I'm possibly, like, percentage-wise, I would be interested if someone went and did the math on this. The percentage of words spoken out loud by Anne Elliot hmm. in that entire book. You know, I mm. I noticed like, how that many too. words did she actually like say? I actually did notice. I picked up on that near the end of the book that Anne doesn't actually she doesn't talk. She a lot. doesn't talk a lot. No, yeah, <laughs> we're like just inside her head the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> and people talk about her sometimes in yeah. her hearing, yeah. like that that scene at the beginning where she's playing the piano for all the young people who are dancing, oh and Captain Wentworth asks, "Doesn't Anne dance?" Oh no, she never dances. She is retired <laughs> from dancing and prefers just to play for us. What a sweet girl, <laughs> you know. It's like, and she, Anne's got to be thinking, "I'm right here, you guys." <laughs> but, so there were a couple of times. I think there was one interaction between her and Mary that Mary just kept going and going and going. (laughs) And then there was another interaction, I think, with Anne and I think it was Henrietta after after Louisa's accident. They were Mm -hmm. talking and like Henrietta, probably it was like a it was like a pages long run on sentence. And like, that's one of the times I want to travel back in time to persuasion with my bullhorn and be like, shut up stop talking enough i I think though that it is it is a good reminder to us we live in a very noisy outspoken age that Mm -hmm. sometimes the most powerful and respected people are those who do more listening than talking right yeah and that's like inner inner thinking that's Mm -hmm. a good lesson for me because i like to talk 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 and yet I find that when I intentionally talk less, the things I have to say are better somehow. And that's <laughs> definitely true in Anne's world. It also allows us, just as a speaking about uh, the craft of the writer right here, by giving Anne so few lines, it allows us to see the world through her eyes and also better to step into her shoes and imagine we are her. Sure. Because we're not, the, the script isn't there it's just us. And oftentimes when Anne is speaking, Austin doesn't actually write out her words, just says Anne replied such and so to the positive or whatever. You know, a lot of her statements are in summary. And I think that allows mm-hmm. you to relate to the character even more because you can imagine you are her. Mm-hmm. It's not all scripted out for you. Mm-hmm. You fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I want to talk about the letter, but I don't want to jump ahead. <laughs> well, what else do we need to talk about before we get to the letter? I know you guys wanted to talk about Lady Russell. Do you want to talk about her? Yeah, let's talk about Lady Russell a little bit more because she is, to a certain extent, she is us. <laughs> she me. is the one you look at and you're like, boy, if there was ever a church lady in a Jane Austen novel, it's yeah. Lady Russell. Lady <laughs> Russell. She's yeah. got so much love for the girls in her life. She's a total mentor. You know, if she lived today, she'd be the youth group leader. <laughs> she is smart. She is sensible. She has good breeding. She behaves well. Like she's one of the few people in the book who actually knows how to behave well. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> But she also has a lot of prejudices and biases and has a little tendency towards micromanagement that I'm sure will sound familiar to at least one of the people on this thread. I'm talking about me. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so we, <laughs> so we went back and forth on this a little bit on the thread and the answers were so great, by the way, even though the event is now technically over and done. If you ever want to see what Lutheran Ladies Book Club is about, this is the one to jump in on. Mm. Go to the events page, find past events in our Facebook group, and then just click through all the threads. And my goodness, the people who participated this time brought the smarts and nice. the deep thinks and all of that and and said mm-hmm. everything so beautifully. But we we talked about whether Lady Russell is more of a hero or a villain, sort of the wise mm-hmm. mentor or the snobby, small-minded saboteur. So if we're thinking about ourselves as church ladies in the type of a Lady Russell, do we want to be like her? Or try not to be like her or somewhere in the middle, like some of each. What do you think? I mean, I think the classic, I'd want to be like her good qualities and not like her bad qualities. Because um, we know we all have both. Right. Um, and again, that is, I appreciate that. Jane Austen doesn't typically make anyone perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She is willing to often make someone completely bad, but she doesn't <laughs> allow people to be yes uh allow our people to be perfect they get foibles and weaknesses and and we get to see that and see the effects of it and lady russell is is not immune to that which must be because jane austen liked her that, mm. yeah that's my theory. Mm. <laughs> people she liked she made them more uh dimensional so as hmm. frustrating as this book made me with people's <laughs> stupid decisions <laughs> Like in real life, especially with people I love, like I try not to be a Lady Russell by being too persuasive or too suggestive or too prescriptive. But what I do try to be is like if somebody I know makes a choice that even from the get go, I'm like, that's that's not going to end well. Like my goal in that person's life is to be there for them after that bad choice sort of comes to fruition. And I think there are obvious exceptions to that, obvious extremes uh, where I would act differently. But yeah, I try not to, I try not to be that meddlesome person in people's lives telling them not to marry this person or buy that thing or what if it was one of your nieces? (laughs) Extremes are exceptions. (laughs) So one of Bree's nieces, whose names I won't mention here for for their privacy sake, comes up to her at like 19 and is like, Auntie Bree, I love him so much. And she's like, well... What does he got going for him? Goes to, goes to pot. <laughs> <laughs> this will not end well. You will not be together forever. But is he is he a, is he a church guy? Um. Well, no. No, not really. Don't do it. Is he going to college? <laughs> Doesn't really think college is important. Uh, do you know his family? Um, you know, I mean, it's just like you can think about you can translate this into today's terms and be like, okay, sure. if one of my daughters came and had this person who, you know, might be a really wonderful person and time would tell that, but at the moment, I don't see anything. Right. I wouldn't say no. I would say wait a while um, mm-hmm. I don't know that That's I would have done anything differently but yeah I don't know I was very torn on her character as I was reading and I really didn't like her but on more reflection <laughs> of my own biases reading the book and some of the comments which you're right are like gold 
And thinking through my own relationships with women who are younger than me in my church who talk to me about stuff, I think it's it's not bad to have, I don't know, persuasion sounds like such a like, you must, you will do what I tell you kind of word. <laughs> um, but, but having that influence, a uh, godly influence with mm. younger women in our lives isn't a bad thing. Mm-hmm. When we've been through situations that maybe younger women haven't been through yet, and we have some wisdom, especially as we get to be like church lady, we get to be <laughs> women leaders of the church. Women leaders of the church. <laughs> when, when we have the wisdom and experience, there's nothing wrong with, with sharing that with, yeah. with other women but also taking into consideration our wisdom may not be perfect, mm. probably will not be perfect because mm. we're sinful. Other people's life situations are different and they don't have to do things the same way that we do them or that we want to do them. But offering advice and wisdom in a way that guides them on a godly path and keeps them true in their faith and in the church. I think that is a very good thing and a good lesson to learn from Lady sure. Russell. Just like not imposing our own will on right. everybody. And <laughs> right. also the whole understanding our own limitations, our prejudices and biases. Lady Russell definitely is classist. Let's mm-hmm. just say it. Yeah. that she, yes. like like Lady Catherine de Bourgh in Pride and Prejudice, likes mm-hmm. to see the distinction of rank preserved. And mm-hmm. even if Frederick Wentworth had been just a man of tons of energy and potential and hardworking and good moral character and deep thinker and all of that, she still might not have thought him good enough for Anne Elliot because mm-hmm. Anne Elliot is a baron's daughter and Frederick Wentworth never will be. Mm-hmm. And so to that extent, I think we as Lady Russell types need to examine ourselves and say, is this wisdom that I'm giving out here, is that really based in godly scriptural wisdom or is it me bringing my own preconceived notions to this conversation yes we should also talk a little bit about the big themes in this book obviously the characters are interesting if not always likable the heroine is amazing but there's also a lot going on beyond a simple love story. This is not just a quote-unquote romance novel. <laughs> there's just a lot happening. So what do you think are the big themes? Persuasion. <laughs> the number of times that word was in this book, though. I was like, LOL, I see what you did there, Jane Austen. <laughs> the notes. Okay, so the book that I read, the version of it that I read, had this whole section of of notes at the end. And I'm really glad I didn't know that they had them. And I actually started reading it, just ignoring the notes. Cause I was like, who needs notes? But then I went back and started reading through all of them and it was really cool. There was a note that kind of explained how her use of the word persuasion actually shifts throughout the book. Oh, interesting. And it was really fascinating. Well, while you're looking for that, I will just jump in here and say, I think one of the, maybe it's a theme. I don't know not really having to do with the whole romance aspect of it is that status doesn't mean a whole lot for you as a person if you're morally bankrupt. So like her dad, I don't don't remember all their names, her father, like their father. Sir Walter. He's a piece of work. He is a piece of work. (laughs) Like I was, I'm kind of glad that he, that like he was morally and ultimately physically bankrupt and had to like leave his, little grounds or whatever like i i mean just not like just being so 
caught up in appearances mm-hmm. and just snobby and caught up in status and everything. When the like, admiral admiral was talking about how he's like, I had to remove quite a few looking glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I still have one large one and one small one, and that's enough. (laughs) How self-absorbed can you be? (laughs) But he's like the stereotype of really top British class. Like this is the only thing that matters. Dandy and way too old to be doing all this. Yes, Um, yeah, no spring chicken himself, honestly. But the way he judges other people based exclusively on their physical appearance and social status is Mm -hmm. and but it's meant to be a cautionary note because Jane Austen obviously knew people who not to this extreme, but who did definitely say physical appearance and social status are the things that matter. Maybe wealth as well. Mm-hmm. And so in Sir Walter, what... she just turned it, uh, turned up the volume to 11 so that everyone could see how stupid that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me wonder what Lady Elliot was like before yeah. she died. Yeah. And what Walter was, Sir Walter was like, yeah. well, he's yeah. a sensible woman to love him. Right. right. Seems Keep like when mind. she died, he sort of went off the rails into all the worst parts of his character. And I think is a an argument for marrying sensible women, I guess. <laughs> That's a good argument. Yeah. Okay. So the note in the book just says, uh, the first time it comes up in chapter two, says entirely convinced. It's a, the first of many diverse uses of the concept of persuasion in this book. See introduction. So there's this whole explanation of like the the way that persuasion, the way that she uses persuasion kind of shifts through the book, which is interesting, and I can't read you the whole introduction, but find a book with notes, guys. This Copy was really run. great. Notes are great. Yes. It, I well, mean, find a book with notes, and in doing so, support an, an English major who no doubt yes. painstakingly wrote the notes and needs to eat. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, this was edited by Gillian Beer. So All thanks. Right. Thanks, Gillian Beer. That was... Support her Patreon. This was great. But that also <laughs> explained like the whole... The whole book that he's looking through at the beginning, that's how it actually made me start reading the notes because I had no idea what was happening. Wow. And then mm-hmm. and then the notes explained like what this whole book was and why he was so enthralled by all of these his own names and lineage mm. and like super mm-hmm. vain. <laughs> I think another theme that I saw coming up, and we've talked a little bit on about Mary Musgrove's terrible parenting, <laughs> but is <laughs> the contrast in parenting styles. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Sir Walter, terrible parent. Mary, terrible parent. But then you've got these, you know, the Musgrove, the senior Musgroves. Mm -hmm. They're much better parents. They have a lot of kids and Mm -hmm. they sort of equal parts, indulge them and love on them, but also provide some structure in their life. Mm -hmm. And then you see the Harvilles, who are perhaps even better, who have, even though I got to say, I think like half the book, the Harville kids are actually staying with the Musgroves. So yeah, (laughs) think what you will about their parenting. But those are represented as good parents because they love their children. They want what's best for them. And they themselves are good people. Mm -hmm. This is what makes a good parent. Be a good person yourself. Love your kids and provide a little structure. That's all. And Sir Walter doesn't do any of these things. He's not a good person. He doesn't really love his kids. And there is no structure aside from the social status hierarchy that he builds his whole life around. Mm -hmm. Mary Musgrove, same thing. Not a good person. Doesn't really like her kids. She even says it, bro. Like, she doesn't even sugarcoat it. Yeah. 
So if you're feeling like you're a terrible parent, just ask yourself, do I try to be a good person? Do I love my kids? And is there structure in our lives? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then relax a little bit. You're probably a, a, a Mrs. Musgrove, not a Mary Musgrove. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there was also a theme on, and this is very much of the time, but on the idea of your, what is it? Noblesse oblige. I think that might be mm-hmm. how you say it. Um, like it, they usually, it's like French term, I believe. Anyway, it's like the, the obligation that the nobility had towards those who were dependent on them. Yes. And Anne was so disappointed in her father in when once he had actually had to relocate and that when she arrived, she's like, he had no he had, he was had no interest in how the people were doing, that he was not able to support anymore. He didn't ask about, you know, how the people in the village he was only concerned, did they ask about him? Were they concerned that, yeah. that he was you know, no longer there where they sad about that. And then you also saw it in the relationship to an extent, like it started playing out, I think a little bit in the relationship between Anne and her, her dear friend, Mrs. Smith, who had fallen on such hard times. And Anne did not turn her back on, on yes. her, but mm-hmm. continued to, you know, go to her. And afterwards, you know, in, in the sort of epilogue, you know, you learned that, you know, she, she was able to try and do what she could to help reverse her circumstances through, through her husband. And I feel like it's a minor theme, but it did show up there and it shows up, I think, elsewhere in Austin's writing. I think this is one of the things that she wrestled with, like, because classism is there, but there's also like this obligation that yes. goes with, it, you know, with yeah. great power, great responsibility. You see <laughs> Anne in the early part of the book when they're saying goodbye to their ancestral home. She makes a point of going around and visiting all the people in the parish and, mm-hmm. you know, giving gifts to the poorer among them. Right. That there was, as you say, noblesse oblige, that the rich ladies especially were charged with if you are a good person you will share what you have with the poorest of your neighbors that mm-hmm. you will take them by baskets of food and medicine and supplies and things there's a wonderful line in Emma who tries to do this thing but doesn't doesn't quite get it she does it because it's supposed to be done not because she has deep compassion but she's talking about a family of sort of prosperous farmers, but they aren't on her level. And she says, if they were a little bit lower, I might be able to do something for them. If they were a little bit higher, they might be able to like come to one of my parties. But where they are right now, there's just like no reason for me to ever talk to them at all. And I just, you know, you want to throttle Emma and go, that's not the point. (laughs) You're right that in this book, too, it's one of the things we see Anne doing that establishes her character. Anne and Lady Russell both take part in this sort of informal social welfare system where they make sure that the poorest among their neighbors and tenants, mm-hmm. you know, get some of what they have. Mm-hmm. And Walter, Sir Walter and Elizabeth don't even care. Don't even notice. Mm-hmm. They're just spending on their on themselves. Mm-hmm. And you see that contrast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I keep bringing up Mrs. Smith, but I love I love their relationship. <laughs> I love that relationship. And I think the part that really struck me was when what Anne was invited over to that party with mm. with what La- Lady Dalrymple? Yes. Is that who it was? And she's mm-hmm. like, sorry, I'm not going to the party. I have a previous engagement with my friend who is oh, a nobody yes. to you guys. And I'm going to keep that engagement rather than being in society with uh-huh. y'all. And her family is like, 
are you nuts? Yep. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. Yep. And she's like, well, she's my friend and I have this engagement with her and I'm not going to break that. And I, I love that relationship. And I, I don't know, regardless of, of Anne's motives, whether it was this obligation to her or her t- just not wanting to be around all of us. Yeah, there's another there's another instance later in the book where she totally does break an engagement with Mrs. Smith and Mrs. Smith <laughs> understands and it's all good. So I but yes, you're right. The fact that she actually places her nobody friends claims mm-hmm. on her equivalent mm-hmm. to her extremely posh, though very dull cousins, the Dal- <laughs> our cousins, the Dalrymples. <laughs> that is sort of Jane taking a dig at the society and its values. Mm. Yeah. And I think the importance of keeping true relationships, I mean, this shows up elsewhere with when they all go to Lyme and they catch up with these friends and it's like, it's like no time has passed. Like oh, these friends get together and there's genuine love and friendship between all of these people. Um, and then camaraderie. Yeah. And Havel and Wentworth are all like, dude, my dude. <laughs> but I, I love that. I think, you know, speaking to, to the, and maybe this is just in my head because it's come up in Bible study so much frequently at my church, but, but just the value of cultivating friendships and putting the effort in to keep those relationships alive is very important, especially as we, I don't know, mature and it's just harder to make friends. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they do take work. They absolutely do. Work, time, effort, all of it. Relationships Mm -hmm. require investment and choosing to invest in her old friend who needed her and had a lot to offer and saved her skin. Oh my goodness. Right. Right. Yes. I did not like Mr. Elliot at all. Such a jerk face. I didn't. He was a sleazebag the whole time, but I didn't think he was that bad. Until the end? Until she started, like, dishing out on him, and then I just, I, mm, was not happy. I mean, there's not that much much difference between him and Sir Walter, actually. And that they're both (laughs) looking out for number one first. They have different ideas about what that looks like, but they're absolutely motivated in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the letter now? Okay, so I definitely like screamed, legitimately screamed when that letter came up. <laughs> That's funny. My ro- my eyes rolled in the back of my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's 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 so Jane Austen <laughs> just exactly. like do this through a letter but like the whole way that it happened I really have nothing like constructive to say I just loved it <laughs> I made I might have gone back and reread it a couple of times myself yes but like I I've like felt this tension when she was like talking so loudly with who is she talking with uh Harville I think Harville yeah she was talking very, very specifically, like she was talking to him, but she was really talking to Wentworth so that he would overhear her. <laughs> and he's just like furiously writing. And then he comes back and gives it to her. And I, I died. Oh, my eyeballs <laughs> fell out. It was so great. <laughs> but if you compare that, when I say she got the ending, finally, at least you see the words with which he professes his love. Yeah. You know, as opposed to a Pride and Prejudice where... You know, Mr. Darcy makes his profession, you know, my my feelings and sentiments on the matter remain unchanged. Yeah. <laughs> That's not exactly the most romantic. And then she doesn't, you don't even hear Elizabeth Bennett's response. She just assured him that her feelings had changed. That's not satisfying. I mean, it is. No. It's incredibly satisfying, but I mean, not like Frederick Wentworth's letter. Uh, yeah, you pierce my soul. Uh, <laughs> are we just like a bunch of teeny bopper schoolgirls? Because I think maybe we are. Yes. 
pierced my soul. Shut up. <laughs> I think I would have like melted had I actually gotten a letter like this in real life, though. That, like it would just, it would, oh, I don't know. I probably couldn't handle it, but I love it in the book. <laughs> If you got a letter like that in real life, you probably would like roll your eyes and be like, ah. but in yes, this context, probably. it's right. It's so good. It but is. it's like, it's so within their characters. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I don't know. I was just so happy. He like, somebody finally did something. <laughs> yeah. More of this, like talking past each other. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he finally had some gumption. Did the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just took an entire book for it to happen. Yes. And they finally <laughs> were reconciled. It was oh, good. They lived happily so ever after. Mm. Yes, they did. And probably more happily for having grown up a little bit yeah. before they oh, yeah. got married, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Stability mm-hmm. is sexy. <laughs> I will tell you that. I will tell you that. <laughs> he looks good now, but is he stable? Just wait till he has a job. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Or, yeah, and or a therapist. <laughs> Maybe both. Maybe both. <laughs> oh, man. Well, okay. I think we have, if not talked it to death, close enough for this one. As always, I feel like we've barely scratched the surface of what there is to talk about with this, with this wonderful novel, but we can save that for next time. We will probably have to do another Jane Austen at some point because it turns out Lutheran ladies like Jane Austen. You know what? I'm Who knew? I, you know what? That connected a lot of dots for me, actually, reading this book. And like college, it just like life throughout college and even high school, it just made a whole lot more sense to me. Yep. I was like, that's why people are the way they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but that will not be this next time. I thought about switching genres again because we haven't done any nonfiction in a while which we should yeah um but then the last time was the one right before this was nonfiction. was it? it what did we yeah. read it's all running together now cross, wasn't oh, it word. so okay, many yeah. good oh spirituality of the cross you're yeah. right that was nonfiction. Oh, yeah, yeah. Last so long ago. okay <laughs> no, you know exactly. what then we no, don't okay. have to feel bad about going with another novel exactly. Because it's winter time and it's good for cozy snuggling on the couch with a cup of tea or coffee (laughs) and reading novels. And so we're going to do that again. And because it's January and it's been a crazy month and I'm looking for easy answers to life's persistent questions (laughs) right now. I think we are going to dial it back a couple of weeks to our wonderful conversation with Katie Shorman. Mm, During which conversation, she recommended a book that none of us had read, but Mm -hmm. she said it was amazing. And I tend to believe people like Katie on things like that. So we are (laughs) going to take the easy way out and read the book she recommended. Do you all remember what it was? Yep. You have it, Brie. I do have it. Not on my person at the moment, but it's entitled. Wait, (laughs) is it The Enchanted April by (laughs) Elizabeth? It is The Enchanted April by Elizabeth Von Arnhem. This is a book that I've not read, but I have seen the movie, which is excellent. If your kids don't fall asleep during it, they will (laughs) at least be edified by it. No, it's one of those it's one of those films that there's really nothing objectionable in it that I can think of. I'll have to rewatch it, but very good. (laughs) It's a good movie. But before you watch (laughs) the movie, (laughs) you got to read the book. Before I watch the movie again, I'm going to read the book. 
And it looks really amazing. It's about four strangers who all chip in on renting an Italian villa for a month. And they have all sorts of issues when they move in and they have all sorts of personality conflicts. And yet by the end, each one of their lives is better for having become friends and just gotten away from dreary London for a while. It's like the real world 1920s Europe edition. It is. It is. And it is set in the 1920s. Alternating between a very drizzly London and a very beautiful castle in the Italian Riviera. Mm -hmm. And again, you've got these four very different women all getting away for different reasons to escape Mm. various problems in their lives or, or whatever. But they're all blessed by their encounters and getting out of their comfort zones socially. So I'm casting us in the four different lady <gasps> roles. Just gonna to just saying. Should we do a fan fiction version for our book club wrap up of mm. just like playing out the story in short form? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> all all right. That might dumpster fire, but it might also be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Dibs on Rose Arbuthnot. I'm just gonna say that right now. I don't know who any of them are, so sure. You will, though. You will. That's right. Am I going to read about her and be like, yes, this makes sense? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) No, they're just all such. I love love books about well-drawn characters interacting and growing as human beings. So this Mm -hmm. is one of those. And we'll finish up our book club read toward the end of March. So it'll be a perfect spring book. You can all imagine spending April in the Italian Riviera and we'll go from there. Sweet. I'm so excited. And for for those of you out there who are now furiously looking up how to get this book, well, we did the legwork for you before, before we started recording. It's so it's on Audible in what, five different forms? Yeah, yeah. It's on Hoopla. If you're on Hoopla for free books, there's several ebooks and there's one audiobook on Hoopla. I did not find it on my Libby. That doesn't mean it isn't on your Libby. And of course, you can buy it from your local bookstore, more than likely. It's available. Bookshop.org is a great place to buy your books. Lots of places to get this book. I'm really looking forward to this as well. It's going to be great. So The Enchanted April by Elizabeth Fun Arnim. And our book club happens in our Facebook group. Rachel will have the event posted shortly before the actual discussion will happen. These discussions happen asynchronously, which means that the questions are posted and you can answer them whenever your heart desires. You can also go back to all of our previous book clubs Oh yeah, and read through the discussion and even comment because those comments show up for everybody who participated. Yeah, so. we put a start date and an end date on it, but that's mostly for me. Y'all are welcome to us. It's like any other party. The party's not over till everyone's left. (laughs) (laughs) All you have to do is RSVP going to that book club event when it shows up on Facebook and you will be a part of the book club. Super duper easy. And lurkers are always welcome. If you want to just come and hang out and read what all our smarty pants lady readers have to say (laughs) for a few times before you chime in yourself, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. I do want to apologize. I had a major technical difficulty during the last book club where I was staying with my parents and their internet went out for the entire day of the last day of book club. So that party went a little later than I had anticipated to start with. But thank you for your patience. We'll get it worked out next time. And it was still super fun. Yeah, so. it was. <laughs> there we go. So you can find all of our previous book club episodes 
at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app or on the KFUO radio app. You can follow us on social media in the Facebook group, Lutheran Ladies Lounge, where the book club will also be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. We post some fun content there as well. And new, new, you can also sign up for our e-newsletter. We have a new e-newsletter. So if you go to the show notes for this episode and scroll down a little bit, there's the link that you can sign up on MailChimp for our e-newsletter. We've only had one go out, so you haven't missed that much. We'll have another e-newsletter go out in February. You can find all kinds of content, especially if you're not on social media. Uh, Sign up for that e-newsletter and then you won't miss out on any of the fun podcasting content. That was one of our reasons for starting the e-newsletter is because we know that some people, including myself, are spending less time on social media and we want to have a way for everybody to be connected. So if you are one of those who is spending less time on social media, especially don't miss out on the e-newsletter. And along with the e-newsletter, you can also email us if you have any comments or suggestions, especially if you're not on social media and you would like to still get in contact with us, you can email us at lutheranladies at kfuo.org and that will go to all four of us so you have direct contact with the Lutheran Ladies Lounge ladies. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Mary Musgrove's Mother of the Year trophy. (laughs) Very, very dusty. (laughs) And crusty. And I'm going to be Ann Elliott when I grow up. I think you are Ian Elliot now. Right now. I'm trying. Yeah. Trying so hard. Ian Elliot when she grows up. Yeah. Ah! Ian Elliot. Ah! Whatever. Ann Elliot wants to be Rachel Bomberger when she grows up. Well, How about feel- that? The you feeling is neutral, that? darling. <laughs> KFUO Radio and the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast are underwritten in part by Ad Crucem. Visit them online at adcrucem.com. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. I love dogs. Get out of here, Maggie. Can we pause for a minute while I take the dog upstairs? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) I'm totally putting that dog barking in, though. I love it. (laughs) I love dogs. Dogs are the best. I was just about to say, we need a studio dog, but that is totally not realistic. That is totally realistic and preferred. We could have like a studio kitty, though. We should bring your cats. Cats are loud. Oh, she's highly allergic. That will make. Don't do it. Not the greatest recordings. Our cats are very loud when they want to. Please pause. I need to blow my nose again. I'm not crying. It's just the I'm allergies. not crying. I promise. <laughs> it's allergies. Okay. Time in. Okay. Time in. So you can find all of our previous book 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 club book. <laughs> Wait, this is this is airing this week. Yes. Never mind. Sorry. Up. Okay. It's almost real time. Almost real time. Almost. Real time. It's almost a live episode. Almost. <laughs> Good thing it's not. <laughs> right. <laughs>
I'm going to cut that part out. <laughs> 